Hey folks, Zach Austin here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. This is Mind Your Banners for Friday, August 18th. I don't know how many of these we do on Friday, but we wanted to get uh, really start circling for a landing on football preseason. Uh, with me is my counterpart, Mike Nizelik from the Bloomington Herald Times. Mike, I guess we should probably like ask you, I mean, I know this stuff, but this is your first time on the podcast. Like, first of all, welcome to the beat. And second of all, like, I don't know. Tell the people where you're from. What did you do on your <laughs> summer vacation? <laughs> Took care of my two kids. Um, you know, uh, yeah, last year I covered uh, the Bengals for Cleveland.com. But before that, I spent oh more than a decade in college football, co- covered Auburn uh, and basketball, covered Auburn basketball, uh, covered Virginia Tech football. So uh, I've done the college thing a long time. So back at it and uh, excited to be here on the beat with you and, and, and jumping in and uh, excited for the season to sort of kind of get here in uh, what, two weeks now um, should be fun. It is, uh, it is rapidly approaching. Once the kids hit campus, you kind of realize that um, I don't know that's, that there's one of many small markers of the summer ending. I think I've started to see the trees in my backyard turn as well, which is going to feel weird when it's like 98 degrees next week, but we'll, We'll find a way to soldier through that. Um, Mike and I, between us, have been out at, I think, pretty much at everything that's been available, uh, more or less, to this point in fall camp. Um, as you'd expect, there's still some areas where there's not a ton of clarity. Um, you know, I mean, when, when you just consider the total tonnage of um, position battles, new coaches, new thread lines, obviously a new coordinator, et cetera, um, it's not surprising that maybe not all that ground has been covered, at least publicly. But I guess it, it, it's the loaded first question. Is there anything from your perspective that maybe we didn't know those first couple of days of fall camp that you feel more confident? I mean, take it wherever you want to take it, but you feel more confident kind of declaring now, I suppose. Well, I think you've talked a little bit about it um um because you had the the luxury of obviously seeing this team last year um but the the upfront um from what everybody has said in the program um and everybody kind of around the program that the defensive line and offensive line looked the part uh more so than they did last year um that they're they're starting groups um you know i, I think we we pr- got a pretty good idea of what that starting offensive line is going to look like defensive line with uh, andre carter obviously kind of leading the charge as a transfer um, you know, that they, um, you know, bigger, stronger, um, a little more experience, obviously, you know, you get Matthew Bedford back at, at, uh, tackle. Um, you know, I, I think that that's sort of probably the area where you probably know the most at this point in terms of, um, where they're at. That has, I, I mean, I think particularly along that defensive line, because there's so many new bodies you've got. Andre Carter, you've got uh, Philip Bleedy, Marcus Burris, Marcus Burris. I mean, like, just I don't know it. it you know, you don't want to get sucked into like bigger, faster, stronger, you know, stuff this time of year. But it does feel like there's just a a depth of size and a depth of, I mean, just like size in terms of weight, in terms of height, in terms of wingspan. Um, it just looks like a defensive line that takes up a lot more space. And that sounds simplistic, but Indiana needs it. Um, and it's, you know, one of the – and, again, I, you know, I know you talked about me seeing this team last year. If I think to, to really Tom Allen's defense is more or less since he got to Indiana, 
one of the most consistent underpinnings has been a really good secondary and has been for most of that time, not all of it, but most of it, a secondary that was pretty experienced too. And it always kind of felt like maybe not necessarily by design, but simply just by personnel and, and you know, what Indiana was able to do. It almost felt like those defenses reversed the poles a little bit and went back to front. And, you know, you had this really good, really disruptive, pretty deep secondary that could fix some of the problems on the front end or not necessarily problems, but, you know, could kind of was so good in coverage, was so good at disguising corner blitzes and nickel blitzes and all those kinds of different things that Indiana could be a, a lot, maybe more risk, you know, could, could take a lot more risks in its front six and, and the way it designed some of its blitzes and its stunts and its pressures um, because you felt like you had guys that could bail you out, for lack of a better term back there. Um, it feels like this year, if Indiana is going to be successful, it's going to, it's going to be the opposite. It's going to work in what we probably would consider a more conventional way, which is you got that really solid defensive line plus a, a small handful of reliable linebackers and Aaron Casey, uh, the staff's high on Jacob Mangum Farrar, the, the Stanford transfer. And that's going to have to be where, you know, this defense, it feels like at least early on wins some games because you have so much uncertainty in that secondary. There's some players back there like Josh Sanguinetti, Noah Pierre, both play a lot of football at Indiana. Philip Dunham played uh, to pretty good effect for a freshman as a freshman but you're going to be breaking in new starters at corner, maybe a new starter at safety, certainly a lot of new depth between transfers and, and guys like a Jamari Sharp or a James Mons, who are redshirt freshmen, really didn't play much at all last season, probably going to play significant snaps this year. Um, it feels like that, you know, the, the defensive front is suddenly kind of got to be the, um, the foundation of the defense in a way that maybe the secondary was for the last few years. And again, that's, that's probably more conventional, but it is different than what Indiana has been doing. Well, and you need to pressure the quarterback now. I mean, it's just, it's just a requirement in college football. If you're going to be successful and they just, um, you know, looking at the pure numbers uh, from last year, they did, they did not do that, obviously. Um, And Andre Carter, um, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of excitement around him. um, What he could do obviously was one of the better pass rushers, um, last year with Western Michigan, I think he had seven and a half sacks. Um, you, you know, you, you, if he has a season up, up there, um, and you can kind of get some of these younger guys to, uh, bolster that, I, I think you can legitimately have, um, an imposing front that, that can make some quarterbacks, um, you know, hear that clock a little bit. And that's what you kind of want to do. Here's a trivia question for you because I know you won't know the answer off the top of your head, but I've, I've I know I know I've mentioned this in podcasts in the past. What do you think was the last season Indiana had a a double digit sack performer, an individual player with with ten or more sacks? It's got to be a while. Uh, it, it, it is a while. What did you say? It was like in the eighties, like late eighties or something. No, like it's that, not that it? a while. No, it was it was when I was in college. It was two thousand eight. Oh, 2000. Okay. Had- well, that was when you said you were in college. You're very old, I guess. No. Uh, <laughs> said 2008, who was it? It was Jamie Curlew. Um, and in fairness, Indiana's had a couple like nine. I want to say Nick Mangieri had nine and a half sacks one season. So it's, it's you know, it skews a little bit. But to, to your point, like when Indiana's been good rushing the passer, and at times under Tom Allen, it has been. If you go back to – you know, some of his his better defenses, you know, Indiana was sixth in the conference in 2016 when he was defensive coordinator in sacks. Um, Indiana was 
right in the middle of the pack in 2019, but led the Big Ten, and I, I want to say in sacks per game, led the country in 2020 because obviously that was a, a weird year. They were they were up there anyway because some some teams played you know a certain amount of games and some teams played more games and whatever right, else. Right, right. Um, when it's been when Indiana's been able to do that though, it has typically been very much sort of you know scheme pressure. It's been. You can say it's been by committee, but really what it's been is just that that there's no one player that does it. It's the, the scheme builds that pressure and Indiana gets creative about where it brings pressure and how it brings pressure. And I'm not saying this team can't do that, but I do think this team would be, I mean, anyone would be better for having a 10-sack defensive player that goes without saying. But I do think this team in particular because there's probably going to be a lot else to figure out on this defense for a little while, even into the season. This team could do could really stand to have someone like uh, an Andre Carter or a Miles Jackson, Jackson or somebody like that just sort of like establish themselves as a really dangerous pass rush threat early on. Yeah, and um, you know, Linnell Carr is a guy they mentioned yesterday, and he's kind of been working with that first team defense opposite um Andre Carter. Uh, I, I guess it's not end with the bull position, um, but you know, lining up as the the opposing uh, you know, opposite defensive end. So he's another guy um that's in the mix. Anthony Jones is at that position too, I I I guess. Um um in terms of you know what what we're looking at for for rushers, but yeah, if you can have you know, if you add that what they can do scheme wise to just natural pressure you can get with rushing four guys. Um, that really I think makes your defense a lot better, it gives the coaching staff a lot more options uh, in terms of how they want to approach things. And like you said, um, you know, with some questions in the back end in terms of you know guys with less experience uh, will help them kind of come along, especially in the first uh, you know two out three weeks when you have some big games in terms of Ohio State and Louisville. Um, you know, th those will be early tests and you want that defensive line to sort of try to give you uh, a shot. I wanted to ask you this just as, as a, a fresh pair of eyes, because this, you know, this comes up anytime um, Tom Allen has handed over defensive play calling duties. He's done it. This is, a, this is the third time. Once it unequivocally worked with Kang Womack. The second time it, it did not work with Charlton Warren. There were extenuating circumstances. That defense really got beat up, and Indiana almost sort of lost a, a war of attrition on defense by the end of that 2021 season. But we've never really gotten Tom Allen to sort of adequately explain, and maybe we never fully will, maybe he doesn't want to, what are his non-negotiables on defense? You know, when, when he sort of says, this is my defense, and I don't want to lose the principles of this defense, but – I'm not going to tell this coach what to call. I'm going to let him. It's it's almost like he presents like the, the floor plan of the house. And he says, you know, the studs will be here and the struts will be here and the supports will be here. But you get to decide which room's the family room. If you want a finished basement, do you want an island in the kitchen? You know, this, like this it, analogy it, has gone deep. This is deep. Well, I've, as you can tell, I probably. What kind them. of molding do they get? Yeah, What's yeah exactly, exactly. One car garage, two car garage. But it, it, I don't know if I mean I, I don't know if you've got a better answer for this than me. But just on a, a fresh pair of eyes, like, do you? How would you describe it? And if somebody just says like, wh like, where is the line of demarcation? Like of of uh, you know, it's what Tom I, Allen says he won't negotiate on, and then well, what this is 
I've seen this throughout my career because Gus uh, Malzahn struggled every year I was there uh, trying to give up offensive play calling. No, um, he Gus. Did, uh, he did. You know, he would take it back within the season, uh, you know, and, and couldn't let go. Um, when Brent Pry took over Virginia Tech, uh, he said, you know, I'm going to call the plays the first season. And by the end of the, t- the first season, he was there. He gave it up um, try- to try to be a better coach. You know, I think all these guys – uh, that you know are natural sort of um, play callers. It, it, you know, it's the biggest battle as a coach, right? Because you feel like you know <laughs> your system, you know your scheme, and you could best call it and and you know maximize the talent, like they like to say. Um, and giving that up is really hard. And um, I, I think it's kind of the battle of these guys' tenure. And, and Tom Allen, what four defensive coordinators essentially, or four different play callers in four years. Uh, mixed success i think it's just a really big challenge i don't know where the line is and i think the line where he talked about which i found interesting and and wrote about that was that he's not going to second guess it that he can't during a game because like if once you go down that road i think you feel like then it's done right like you start to take it back and the the guy doesn't have autonomy so um you know they're going to run i think the four two five and i think that um you know that's what he's got to kind of call uh, Matt Guerrero. Is it Guerrero? Or, uh, I never. It's Guerrero. Matt Guerrero. Uh, Guerrero um, is going to kind of based on that. And, and Tommy Allen said he's going to add some different things, um, you know, from his experience and his, you know, uh, you know, past. Um, so we'll see. But I think the line is on game day, he has to be hands off because once he starts getting hands on, um, that's when I think the thing falls apart. Yeah, and I think it's like it, it's interesting you bring up Gus Malzahn because I feel like this conversation always happens more around offense play callers, and you know there. I mean, like like Ohio State's going to have a new offensive coordinator when they come to Bloomington in two weeks, but I think it's it's I think it's probably fair to assume Ryan Day still going to be calling plays, mm-hmm. and Kevin Wilson sort of seemed to to sort of fight this fight when he'd have coordinators, but who was calling plays? I think sometimes the coordinators would call plays and Kevin would kind of come in and be like, yeah, you need to run this now. And then I think there were times where Kevin was just out and out calling plays. And I think it's, listen, I, I appreciate that Allen is is even just kind of willing to talk about some of this stuff more openly than frankly, probably a lot of, um, a lot of coaches would, but it, it does fascinate me just kind of the dynamics of like where, like I said, where he draws his lines in terms of you, you can't, you know, you, you can't not do this or you, you can't go do this. But when it comes to this, I'll just kind of let you have it. And I also think it's going to be fascinating for him to kind of figure this out. And this is, you know, something where I think almost Matt Guerrero is a, a bit of a test case. Um, you know, when you're probably going to be plugging holes in the portal every year. And so it's, you know, it's, you, you don't get the luxury, if, if you want to call it that, of what you had 10 years ago, even five years ago. Of, well, these are the things I want to do, and I know what body types I'm looking for at these specific positions, and we're going to go get them, and I'll redshirt most of these guys, and they'll develop. And as they grow up, you'll sort of see with the players we develop what I want, you know, what I was talking about and what I wanted. And then, you know, it'll all just kind of work itself out naturally. Like now, you know, you're going to have to be plugging some of those holes with transfers and it's probably going to be even harder to hold on to what, you know, what you want to do. Um, let's flip to the other side of the ball and we'll just go ahead and 
get the elephant in the room out of the way. Um, Tom Allen is not going to have publicly announce a quarterback, uh, you know, probably announce a starting quarterback before the Ohio State game. He did say today in media availability at Lucas Oil Stadium that Indiana uh, intends to select a quarterback after this weekend scrimmage, which follows the same general timeline that Allen followed last year because he wants to give his starting quarterback two weeks of preparation as the sort of known, named, empowered number one QB. Um, whenever anybody's asked me, and, and again, if you've got a different answer, fire it in. I've said I really, I, I still really can't separate them. I can describe them as different players, probably. Well, they are different players. They are. Uh, I can, I can confirm they are different players. But, <laughs> but they, I, I, I couldn't tell you which one I think just absolutely should be the starter today. And I do think there's going to be an element of this that's probably going to come down to just almost the question of which one opens up more for the offense. I think it may, you know, like when it, when Tom Allen picked. Michael Penix or Peyton Ramsey said it's nothing Peyton Ramsey didn't do. It's just what I think Michael Penix is capable of. I think this may be more one of those. It's not that this guy was so much worse than this guy. It's just the more of the offense of what we're trying to do is open to us when this guy's behind center. Well, yeah. And from what we've seen, um, there hasn't been much separation from like the, the periods of practice we've seen in terms of, um, you know, they've been getting equal reps in, during those periods and, and kind of the, the throws they have made and haven't made and what kind of the offense looks like. I mean, there just hasn't been much separation between the two. Um, you know, uh, you know, he's talked about ups and downs, and, and I think you've seen that. Um, they're both obviously redshirt freshmen, um, and that's sort of one of the things he's talked a lot about is that they were kind of at the same starting point. So uh, it was going to take a while, you know, for them to sort of, I don't know, get enough film or get enough um you know, a, a look at them to sort of make a decision. Um, you know, we've talked about this in terms of, you know, if there's a tie, uh, Tavon uh, Jackson makes a lot of sense just because if you're a program that's going to live and die by the portal, um, getting a guy um, and giving him that second chance and, and showing that you're willing to sort of build around a transfer quarterback um, is a good data point to give transfers in the future that, oh, look, this guy was successful or this guy came in um, and, and you know, answered our our, our hopes and dreams. Um, so I think there's that hanging over it. And obviously, um, you know, he's a name that um, is, is, you know, means something in Indiana. And so there's there's that too hanging over it. So if there's a tie, I would think that he, that makes sense. Um, and I And I do think he's a little bit more athletic to the point where, if you're doing some of the different things, um, you know, read option, uh, running the quarterback a little bit, which they've talked about, they want to do, he might make a little more sense. Um, you know, drawbacks, I, I think, you know, pocket presence, pocket passer, not where you'd probably want it to be, but again, not much experience. Um, uh, and you know, uh, I, I, that's going to come, but I, I do think it's hard when you're looking at Ohio state in week one, that the, whoever wins the job is going to look, you know, or probably is not going to look the greatest, uh, you know, in two weeks. And so you have to kind of weather that storm. So I do think that's an interesting factor to sort of get through it. You've talked about that a little bit and said, I'm over analyzing that part, but I do think that's tough for whoever steps in and um, uh, you know, that's who's looming on the calendar. Yeah. I, I told I know I told the story when I did a radio hit earlier today and, and talked about the quarterback 
battle, which was Mark Deal, who's been around IU football for a million years. He played his dad played at IU, he played at IU, he coached at IU, all these different things. And during that Gator Bowl season, Indiana, I, I almost certain was their Big Ten opener. They lost fifty-one to ten at home to Ohio State. And um, when I wrote a story about kind of that season in whole later in the year, Mark Deal told me a story that he texted Tom Allen the night of that loss and said, we lost by 41 points at home to Ohio State in 1979 and we won the Holiday Bowl. And and his point was basically like, this doesn't have to derail anything. And I don't mean to be flippant when I say this. If you're at Indiana, you kind of need to be comfortable losing to Ohio State. Like that's just, you, you've got to recognize that sometimes that's just going to be baked into the pot. Um, I do think the, the other thing with Taven Jackson and, you know, as you said, Neither one of these guys is experienced enough that you just say, well, give it to him and he'll figure it out. Neither one of these guys is, you know, has, I think, at the mo- at the moment, and again, where their ceilings are, we'll see. But neither one of these guys, I think, at the moment has some elite trait, you know, that, that even if you kind of looked at it, you said, well, it's really raw, but look at the deep ball he throws or, you know, my God, he runs like Michael Vick or whatever. I do wonder if the option concepts are going to remain from the end of last season. We saw them a little bit in the spring. It seems like they're still kind of floating around and, and time is going to tell us how much Walt Bell and Bob Bostad want to commit to some of this two back stuff again, like triple option out of the gun in different ways. Um, but if that's going to remain, I, I do also wonder if Jackson is a slightly bigger body a slightly more athletic player. Obviously people around here will be very familiar with how athletic he is. Um, Anybody who saw him not just play football in high school, but basketball in high school. Um, In addition to being, you know, obviously having the the sort of cerebral nature of a quarterback, he is just a a really good athlete. I mean, you know, you could, you could probably put him in almost any sport and he'd find his way to being good at it. He's one of those, uh, one of those types of players. So I do wonder if that's a factor as well. But then the the other question I have about basically any quarterback in that regard is how good of a runner are they? And I don't just mean, you know, how fast are they, but like, can they make somebody miss? Do they have a good feel for reading a block, especially a block downfield? Do they know when to tuck it and run, when to stand in the pocket? You know, do they know how to take a hit? Like, People used to ask Paul Johnson when he ran that triple option, are you worried about your quarterbacks getting hit so much? And he said, well, none of you ever asked me about if I'm worried about my running backs getting hit so much because running backs are taught how to take hits and how to dispel contact. And I've seen plenty of quarterbacks that, you know, were really good, really athletic in the open field, but they didn't know how to protect themselves when contact was coming. And we can't tell that until, A, we see Indiana run this stuff, and, B, frankly, we see them running against somebody else because they aren't going to put quarterbacks – in contact situations really in, in fault camp. And you understand why. And so it just kind of, I mean, it's, it's almost kind of one of those decisions where like, I I don't, (laughs) I don't think you can really second guess it either way because it does seem like there's tissue paper between them. And I'd also point out, you know, I I can't remember the last time Indiana went through a season with one quarterback. It might've been Ben Trample. So the likelihood is both of these guys are going to play anyway. Well, it's probably, I mean, it'll be easy and actually probably be easy to second guess because you know so little about either of them that well, you work, you know, it's always the, the, the guy on the bench is the better one. And in this case, you really don't know since 
because they're both redshirt freshmen. They haven't played um, um very much, obviously, and so I you know, I think people are just going to be clamoring for the guy that's not in there that or that's not struggling, and so I think that'll be a constant refrain. Um, and that that's why I kind of bring up the first game because you know if you look bad, um, or or try too much, I, mean, I, I think it's a it's a it's an opportunity to have the worst come out on you because a young quarterback, um, you know, and I think uh, uh, Tom mentioned this uh, the other day where you know they can't be doing too much or try to or maybe it was Walt Bell that they can't try to put the team on their shoulders um, because that's when mistakes start to happen, um, and I think that's what you have to worry about kind of week one. So. Um, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, obviously he's not going to announce it, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, but you know, everybody's kind of waiting to to kind of see how this offense uh, develops, and that's kind of obviously the the key question. And I think that's where, whenever people ask me about the quarterback, I, I sort of come back to the idea that the, the ability to run the ball seems more important to me because, especially when you run, and I mean, you you would have seen this in Gus's better seasons at Auburn, as well as I suppose his worst ones in the other direction, a good option, like a true option of almost any kind, run it out of the gun, run it under center, run a wishbone, a wing tee, uh, you know, something more modern with RPOs and read option stuff. Um, a good option takes some pressure off an offensive line. It, it, it allows offensive linemen to move around a little bit it means that maybe they have to block a little bit less conventionally. And so it's not just necessarily, oh, you know, I figured I got to block down into this hole. I better go stop this NFL defensive tackle. Um, but you can you can just kind of move things around and scheme things a little bit and move the ball quickly laterally in ways that maybe don't require as much of an offensive line. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the two hands almost kind of start feeding one another, if you understand what I'm saying, that, that – um, the line, maybe its job, if it's run well, is a little bit easier to do. Then suddenly you're running the football more effectively. That's putting you in better down and distance situations, which makes the line's overall job easier. And then it's easier to pass the ball out of that. You protect the young quarterback more. And all of this is simple and, you know, in theory and difficult in practice. But I, I do come back to where, to me, you almost kind of, the question to me is is much more basically can that run game take the take some of the um, pressure off the past elements of the offense because you're gonna have a young quarterback, a bunch of young pass catchers, a bunch of young tight ends. You really need that running game to be the foundation of your offense. Once again, no matter who's behind center. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and, I, and I think one of the things, if you look at part of the ceiling of this team uh, or offense, but team will be how much they can get the ball to Jalen Lucas, how effectively, because I think he's by far your probably best player. Um, and to get him, you know, they set a minimum touch count, 15 to 20 touches um, and, you know, make a lot of those on offense, not just five on kick returns and five on offense, but like, you know, a substantial amount of plays um, that aren't just like, you know, off tackle runs um, and getting him in space. Um, I think that's going to be one of the, the keys uh, because he's a dynamic player, a game changer. And, a, and you know, Ohio State's going to have the speed to match him. Um, but a lot of these other teams um, will struggle to sort of um, match up against him. And if you can uh, create mismatches and get him in space, 
um, I think that'll go a long way to helping the uh, the quarterbacks. I mean, because you don't have to get him downfield. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just kind of scheming it up so he gets a little space at the line and then, you know, get him the ball and go. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about in terms of you know, if you have those plays to rely on, um, it's going to make it um, easier for the quarterback to sort of get comfortable and look downfield and, and do some of the other stuff they need to do. I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was just the, the offensive skill positions. I mean, you know, you, you again, you, you won't know until they've, they've got to, you know, sort of live it up against a true opponent. EJ Williams has looked good. I think the Clemson transfer, he had a really good spring. It seems like that's carried forward. Um, is it, you, you got the correct pronunciation. Is it Dequez Carter? Dequez. Dequez. Okay. Dequez Carter. Um, the the transfer from Fordham, who was not here in the spring, he had to finish. I think just just kind of finish his classes and things. And it's been interesting. And of course, he's very experienced. He had a really good career at Fordham. But it's been interesting to see how quickly it seems like he's integrated into the ones and twos in in a wide receiver group that was you know you have Cameron Perry, Donovan McCulley, EJ Williams, Anderson Kobe. Um, you know, you've obviously got Cam Camper getting healthy and, and you know, there's, uh, there's a, a handful, I think I, I don't know if I said Omar Cooper there, there's a handful of younger players that look good. The fact that he has moved so quickly kind of up the depth chart, for lack of a, a better term, does feel like maybe he's got something to really offer this season as a transfer. Um, there's not a lot proven there. I will say it, it does feel like they have like just the, the, the you know, the, the, overall sort of requirement of, of skills and attributes there. I think the question for me is, are enough of those centered in a, a small group of players? And can you figure out who needs to be where to get the best out of those players? You know, whether it's, you know, who's operating out of the slot or route combinations, or even again, when you talk about running the option, who are good blockers? Because, you know, the option doesn't work if you, if your receivers can't block the edges. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by that room because it, it feels like there's potential in there, but there is so little sort of proven Indiana can definitely lean on this experience. And again, with a young quarterback, you're going to need those skill positions around him to grow up fast. Yeah. The biggest question for Carter is he played on the outside almost exclusively at Fordham. And he said, you know, the division one level, his size, that he's not an outside receiver. He's a slot receiver. Uh, so he's kind of been battling it out. Uh, I know they've liked really what Cameron Perry, Perry's done uh, during camp. So those two will kind of be your, your slot guys um, and pretty dynamic actually pairing there with the speed. Um, um, and then EJ Williams on the outside with, with camper, uh, you know, that's a pretty good pairing too. Williams has got to be a little more consistent. You, you kind of seen him drop some catchable passes and that's kind of, you know, he fell out of favor at Clemson said they kind of lost trust in him. So, you know, he's going to be motivated to sort of prove himself. He's got that size on the outside that, you know, I think teams desperately want, especially in the red zone. Um, so like you said, an interesting mix, can they all fit it together? You know, campers obviously been limited throughout camp, uh, but should be healthy for week one. Um, you know, you, 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 that's a position where you think it has a pretty high ceiling if they could put everything together, but at the same time, um, you can kind of see a scenario where they just can't get the right mix, you know, rotating too much. And then no, but nobody kind of shines. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, how they all put it together for, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season. And maybe it's a group that week four, come week four, you feel a lot better about once they've got a rotation down and, and know who does what and what plays, you know, the, the guy's strengths are essentially. And that comes back to quarterback too. I mean, you know, last year Cam Camper was was having one of the best individual receiving seasons in the Big Ten before his injury. You know, from his first game when he set an Indiana record for receiving yards in a debut, it was clear that he had a rapport with Connor Bazelak that that nobody else had been able to build for whatever reason. And you don't want to get overly, you know, if you're a quarterback, you don't want to get overly zero then on one receiver. But if there is Again, I think you could even get to a situation if, if you're struggling to separate them as a coach where you might say, well, one of these guys, one of these two quarterbacks has a really productive relationship with, you know, this this receiver, maybe these two receivers, and we can lean on that. And, you know, that that gives us sort of a base camp, if you want to say, to build out from. Um and I, again, I mean, like at this point, I'm just kind of firing crackpot theories at the wall, but it sort of feels like it's going to be something like that that breaks the quarterback battle up. Well, yeah, you're looking for one thing that could do it, yeah. right? Yeah, you're, you're going. I, I think you're going to have to go from you know, like the it's like the contest where you know every time you get a hint, you get fewer points if you get it right, and it feels like you're going to have to. You're not going to be able to get it right away. You're going to have to get like three or four levels deep into figuring out why this quarterback is the right quarterback. And then again, I also go back to, you know, last season, Indiana changed quarterbacks twice. The year before that, how many quarterbacks did Indiana have injured by the end of the season? Um, you know, the, 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 the two seasons they went to bowl games under Tom Allen, the backup started the bowl game. That stuff, guys get hurt, guys struggle, whatever it is. Just because one of these guys is named the starter on September, whatever it is, fourth or whatever the, the day of that game is. Um, doesn't mean you're not going to see the other one. Doesn't mean you're not going to see Dexter Williams, who Tom Allen can't really tell us like when he's going to be available, but it's clear that Allen did not think he would be initially available at all this season and now thinks he will be. And so that'll be an interesting one to track. We'll leave it there for today. Um, we'll come back next week. And, and by that point, there may actually be some, some things that are sort of beginning to calcify a little bit more and, and make themselves a little bit more publicly apparent around some of these position battles and things. Thanks again, Mike, for joining us. Um, this has been Mind Your Banners for August 18th, 2023. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon.